Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. This is being released on December 12th. Ah, gosh, we're almost to Christmas already. Let me tell you, I'm feeling it. December is so busy. And actually, uh, the two of us have been really busy. We've been trying to cram more shows in before the vacation and everything. And so actually, we've been so busy we had to record this one a couple of days past the release date. So we're recording on the 14th, but I'm going to get it edited up quickly and then we'll go back and release it on the 12th just to make sure that we don't miss a week. We're developing, because of because it's convenient to us, the very first mm-hmm. podcast time travel technology. Yeah. And let me tell you, the last couple of days have been amazing. You know, I've got a big promotion at work. The, uh, the impeachment went through and uh, just everything's really looking up. What we found out, H, is that plebes have been making vision boards. We jumped straight to the end result of that vision and then mm-hmm. just retroactively kind make it happen. Kind of reverse engineer it from there. Yeah. Exactly. We're like, well, this is the end result. Let's, now, now we can figure out how we got there. Of course, congratulations on your uh, MacArthur Fellowship. That's, that's wonderful to hear. I hope that releasing this podcast isn't going to have some sort of crazy butterfly effect and... Uh, <laughs> You know what? <laughs> We're not that important. I don't think this is really going to change anything. No, and you know what? I am, after having accepted this fellowship, I'm very excited to learn what a MacArthur Fellowship is <laughs> and what it's all about. That's like a genius grant, uh, presumably <laughs> for the work that we do here on the show. It might um, be today. I guess we'll, uh, we'll figure that out. I, I guess that's a little spoiler for whose idea is better of the two of us today. <laughs> it's true. I'll go ahead and pitch first. Save the best for last, apparently. Mm, perfect. My pitch, as all good pitches are, is based on a Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, God. <laughs> we, we're earning it this week. Have you ever seen the film Next? I've never seen the film Next, no. That's right, you're not missing much. Nicolas Cage plays, yeah, it's kind of like a superhero movie. Okay. Where he can see like two days into the future. Okay. And that means that as long as he can see into the future, he can change the future. Uh, maybe it's not two days. Maybe it's like two minutes or two hours or something like that. But uh, actually, I think it is two minutes now that I think about it. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like us. It's not our two-day technology. He's working on the two-minute right. spectrum. Yeah, that's right. We're the ones two days in the future. I always get us mixed up with Nicolas Cage for some reason. Must Classic. be the hair. Yes. He can see two minutes into the future, which means that he can see pretty much every possible way that the next two minutes could go down based on his decisions, because... If you can see the future, you can change the future. Mm. The entire thing is about they're trying to find some terrorist organization who's going to like detonate a bomb in the middle of L.A. or something like that. They've kind of narrowed it down to this this warehouse, and but they don't know where in the warehouse it is. And so they're trying to find this bomb or the, the terrorist or whatever. And Cage says, you know, leave it to me. I'll search the entire thing. And... You see this really cool scene of Nicolas Cage in these branching timelines, essentially kind of splitting out from himself 
and searching every like little nook and cranny because in some possible future reality in the next two minutes that exact spot is where he's going to be searching so you know he has all of these cages going everywhere trying to find this bomb and so that kind of got me thinking I've been really enjoying Super Hot lately, the mm. the uh, first person shooter where time only moves if you move, and so as long as you stay still, time is relatively frozen in place. I've been playing the VR version, which is even more difficult <laughs> uh, to manage because it tracks your head movement and your hand movement and everything like that. But uh, right, and so I was thinking of like a cross between Super Hot and Braid, which is a first person shooter but you can rewind time. And so I was thinking you have a very kind of a realistic damage pool. I don't know, with hit points. Um, what do they call when somebody dies in real life? Uh, mortality? <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, so basically, if you get shot, pretty much you're going to die. Uh, and so your whole thing is just, you know, you don't want to get shot. And so if you find yourself in a bad situation you can rewind time to kind of matrix around the bullets or find yourself in unexpected locations but like braid if you rewind time past you know something that you've done if you shot one of the bad guys and you rewind past that point obviously the bad guy isn't dead anymore so you have to find some way to kind of string together this perfect run but you have a little bit of uh, flexibility in that you're able to rewind. So uh, let us uh, let us start the clock on that one and see where the time takes us. This is really cool. I want to say Super Hot's main mechanic is that as long as you're not moving, no one else is, right? Yeah. So it's almost like a perpetually paused state of the game unless you're doing something. Right. I, I really love the rewindability in Forza. I can't tell you how many mm. times I have uh, taken a Ferrari into a 90 degree turn at a hundred miles an hour only to <laughs> rewind and go, Oh, I guess I needed to break way back there. So yeah. I love that being applied to a first person shooter. I'd like it if it was a little bit more analog as well. Like if it wasn't press a button and it rewinds, like it decides how long it's going to rewind for. Like sometimes in Forza, all I really needed was a little bit more of a push to the right and I would have been fine and I don't want to have to go back like, you know, half the roundabout. Yeah, it sends you too far, right? (laughs) You almost need a Tacoma style like rewind in that. I haven't played it yet, so I'll take your word for that. (laughs) Yeah, they. I mean, they give you essentially one for one audio Mm -hmm. tape controls. So you Mm -hmm. have your step back and you can, one of my favorite parts about any sort of rewinding function is the um, attempted simulation at backward sound effects. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And so what if you add some mechanic into this thing that there are certain puzzles or enemies like you, you kind of get in some of these games that can only be defeated somehow backwards. That would be interesting. And again, I've used this reference point in the past, so I won't go into as much detail this time around, but in uh, cameo elements of power, if you racked up a score multiplier, you can go into slow motion, or I guess you would be going in fast motion and everything around you would just look like it's really slow, like in those, like the Flash movies or Quicksilver or whatever. You would come across these enemies that match your speed at that speed. And so the idea is that they're always there, but they're always just moving too fast to be seen. And so that's the only time that you can engage in that space. 
if this starts off kind of like a like a regular James Bond or John Wick type shooter at the beginning and then like halfway through it introduces some sort of like supernatural element and all of a sudden there's these kind of creatures that you can shoot in the rewind as well. <laughs> yeah, and have you ever played Quantum Break? Uh, you know what? I've got it installed on my Xbox right now, and <laughs> I'm I'm going to get to it as soon as I get through the 80 other games in the way. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So Quantum Break, which I actually recently just re-downloaded because I caved and paid Comcast for my data cap to be lifted, mm. which don't even get me started on that, but uh, has a really interesting mechanic where certain enemies will be wearing a special device that kind of makes them able to exist on your plane. So, mm -hmm. uh, and of course you can shoot and damage that device um, and kind of kick them out of that world. So I love the idea of some of these bad guys potentially wearing these harnesses or straps um, that allow them to maybe continue chasing you as you rewind. And that's, that's like these particular moments where, Oh, if I rewind too far, this guy's actually going to catch up to me still. So you're incentivized to take out that bad guy first straight out of your rewind. So you you add in some pressure situations and it doesn't just feel like a uh, a trial and error. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up as I was describing this, I got this like sudden dawning on me is like, oh, this actually sounds really familiar. I looked it up and there was a game on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, presumably kind of early last gen called Time Shift. That is a first person shooter that had some time manipulation elements. And I know you could pause time. I'm pretty sure you could probably rewind and fast forward as well. Uh, but we wanted to put out there that uh, <laughs> I do remember this. Uh, this was not intentional that I would be evoking this, but uh, it's on the table. And I feel like with this last edition, we've already kind of moved in a different direction than that one anyways. So I didn't want to just not say anything about time shift. The idea of things moving backwards in time, maybe because guns wouldn't work if you are yourself going backwards in time because, you know, pulling the trigger, like you, you can only kind of suck back into your gun the bullets that already exist. And so maybe you have two guns, one of them going to shoots bullets and one of them sucks things from the atmosphere. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> like um, chunks from the wall or just like some sort of like a, like a gravity gun almost like has some sort of like powerful attractive force. Sure. And so that one in reverse could function as a real gun, but it could also do some, you know, environmental damage in the, in the fast, in the, you know, forward facing world or uh, and then there would have to be some sort of a function for the real guns in the, the backwards world just to kind of give you some mixed utility for these tools. I like any time a first person shooter or, or any game uses the environment to refill uh, your weapon. For example, in infamous uh, Second Son, I think mm -hmm. whatever yep. the PS4 launch game was, you had that concrete power. Yeah. And you can kind of suck up chunks of road to kind of refill yeah. that ability <laughs> and having a gun do that with shrapnel. But I, I also wanted to, it, it's, uh, I'm glad that this is such a good idea. I'm, it just makes me think of a thousand other things. And I almost want to help introduce like the concept of when you're playing a golf game or, or a, a sports game, sometimes you can put like after touch on <laughs> the ball. Uh -huh. And so I would love if, if somehow, let's say the game is 
pretty difficult, right? Linearly, because mm-hmm. you're able to rewind, so you can retry a lot of things. What if you could kind of put a little aftertouch on yourself through that rewind, you know, very slightly change your position, and maybe that puts you at risk of getting one of your own bullets sucked back into a direction that hits you or something. Oh, interesting. Or, you know, it puts you in the line of sight of another enemy, but maybe it's enough to get right under that cover that you just weren't quite at before yeah. or, or around a corner, but v- very light, almost to the way that you control a car and burn out, just like almost cosmetic level of um, <laughs> this player control during the rewind. It's like that uh, kind of iconic bit of braid where you're dropping down this big pit and then there's the the spikes at the bottom, then the yeah. little platformer spikes on it. And so you, you do this like weird combination of rewinding a little bit and just nudging yourself in different directions and you're able to snake your way yeah. down this pit. It's really clever. I like that. But I, I really like what you were saying about uh, using the environment to reload your gun. And maybe we can bake both of those functions into one gun. You always have these two competing, uh, there's always people in, in, what do we call it, front motion, regular forward facing (laughs) time. (laughs) Yeah, linear uh, start to finish. And reverse. And so you've got both threats going on. And so neither one is like a safe space to be, Uh, but you can only shoot your gun in the, the forward motion and you can... And once you reload, it basically just sucks things from where you're pointing your gun, you know, whether that's pulling in concrete or bits of entrail or whatever it is. And so you can use that in slow motion or in, sorry, in reverse as your primary fire function. But that is reloading your gun to be shot again in the kind of front facing motion. Oh, that's cool. So if you have a gun, perhaps that most of its ammo is spawned from these reverse enemies or reverse resources in some way, you you find yourself using the reverse as a reload. Yeah. But also potentially that's resetting a little bit of your progress, kind of a two step forward, one step back kind of. Yeah. Or you of, could reload just in uh, in regular forward time as well, just by pointing it at something and then sucking up rocks or something to be shot into the, you know, into the next group of enemies. But it serves that function in, in reverse as well. But that also means that if you have a full clip, if you're one of those people that just instinctively reloads after every, you know, little bout of fire, like I am, then if you have a full clip and you go into reverse motion, then you can't fire because you, uh, you don't need any more environmental objects in your gun. So you have to kind of manage that. Yeah, I actually do the same thing. And to <laughs> see to the thought of a reload being reversed on me is pretty horrible. Uh, I wonder, <laughs> too, uh, so few games copy the Gears of War active reload system, which I think mm-hmm. is one of the only games that ever made reloading its own you know, game in and of itself. If you can layer something like that in there, too, where timing a reload perfectly and potentially the ability to rewind and get a second shot at that reload is mm-hmm. uh, is pretty cool or maybe even reloading in some way fuels your rewind ability yeah yeah anyways we're out of time on that let's see i'm going to call this one es reaver that could be the name of the person and it's also reverse spelled backwards so nice <laughs> whatever <laughs> sounds more like one of the great american authors but i'm sure that it'll work out all that talk about reloading got me thinking do you remember when games used to 
And this used to be just like the way of the land. When you hit the reload button, if you still had bullets in your clip, it would get rid of them. Yeah, you would lose those ones, kind of like you were throwing away a half full clip. It was madness. <laughs> I mean, that's a good kind of risk reward as well, because you don't want to run out, but then you don't also want to be short a couple bullets if you need them for your next firefight. So I'm kind of, I wonder why we did away with that mechanic, because that one, uh, I guess, just to cater to us more obsessive compulsive types. You know, you say that and it's actually even taken one step further when I played Destiny 2. If you are out of bullets, that character is automatically going to reload no matter what. And if you, for example, are even low on a clip, I think mm -hmm. after coming out of a sprint, your character compulsively reloads as oh, well. Interesting. So it's doing the compulsive reloading for you. <laughs> In Mass Effect 1, they had this really clever system where basically you had unlimited ammo with every gun because the way that the Mass Effect guns worked was that they had just like a chunk of metal just lodged in the gun and the gun would kind of shave off like an almost infinitesimally small piece of the metal and then launch it using the kind of, you know, the whatever kind of warp drive technology powered those space stations that enabled light speed travel, mm. uh, but just like a handheld version for the gun. And it would just shoot these little shards of metal. And I always thought like, that's such a clever mechanic, like such a clever, like futuristic way to build a gun that doesn't ever need to be reloaded. But then, uh, for Mass Effect 2 and 3, I guess they forgot that technology and they went back to having guns that you had to like reload or cool off or whatever. It just felt like a big step backwards. But I guess if you're making it into a shooter, you know, reloading is a part of the um, a part of the rhythm of the game. So I understand that you can't just give everyone unlimited ammo, but I thought it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Let's find out what idea you're going to be getting grant money for this week. Uh, <laughs> what is it you're bringing us? Well, this is probably the closest to a genius grant I'll ever get. Uh, if this is not a show about contrast, I don't know what is. My pitch Wait this a minute, week, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> I mean, you came in with a, a, a frantic reverse shooter. I'm going to come at you with something if very different. If this isn't a show about contrast, I don't know what is. I've got something <laughs> really brilliant. Really brilliant. <laughs> Forget about that trash game. <laughs> All right, so, H, mm. in the future, the wealthy and powerful live in the clouds i know you're thinking bioshock infinite stay with me okay they live they all live in personal like house airships mm -hmm. and they punish their society's outcasts the criminals the sick the poor to a post post apocalyptic earth to mine and gather their food and resources for them mm -hmm. there are only two cities left in the continental united states Boston and San Francisco. Oh, I see. <laughs> and the Wherever rest. Wherever you are, you're home. <laughs> exactly. And the rest of the continent is abandoned. It's overgrown. It's in really tough shape. Yeah, but good a, ma a massive train line connects these two. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the train is operated by the worst of the worst outcasts. Uh, they're all like punished to go work on the train. So somehow in the setup of the game, you're convicted of a crime. You're cast out of the sky to go work on this hell train. And the game is two parts. It's a narrative mystery, um, maybe a la a David Cage-esque game as you're on the train and you're working it and you're learning the stories of the people and the powers that be. Mm -hmm. And then there are various points throughout the adventure where it becomes a survival game where the train breaks down and there you 
the staff has to go out and gather resources uh, and fend off any possible attackers uh, to help repair the train and continue the journey. So okay. uh, you travel, this thing, this adventure takes weeks, months, however long. You gather resources, you repair the train, battles, maybe potentially strange beasts. Mm-hmm. And slowly throughout the journey, you uncover the mystery of what happened to Earth uh, and try and liberate the people from the land from their <laughs> sky overlords. Get right on track and start the clock. This is interesting. That was not where I was expecting you to go with this. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> what I had in my mind when you started describing it is like, oh, this is like Snowpiercer. And I can see so many ways that kind of constantly being on a super fast moving train could be really cool. And, you know, thinking about the physics of like, you know, if the train is moving so fast, then what is it like to, uh, I don't know, like fire a gun on a moving train or something like that? I guess it would, you know, the same thing as jumping on a moving train. You don't just immediately fly backwards as soon as you uh, leave the ground because you're maintaining that momentum. But anyways, this is also kind of cool where it's uh, like a little Huckleberry Finn journey, maybe where yeah. you're kind of cruising down this 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 pathway or like a Jason and the Argonauts type thing where you're having a kind of a wide ranging journey and are stopping at various places along the way. One of the things that I would really like to see in this game is a perpetually present outdoors as well. And so even as the train is moving, you're able to kind of climb on top like Nathan Drake in the Uncharted games. And uh, there's just kind of the country scrolling past and, you know, you can create a very narrow stretch of the entire country if you wanted to, because, you know, racing games do it like Need for Speed the Run is basically a, you know, almost a straight line through the United States. And yeah. it has scenery from all these different places, but it, it can be pretty sparse because you're not really going to be interacting with most of it and be mostly a facade. But just to have this in real time or even, you know, slightly accelerated scroll through of this sort of moving landscape that gives you a sense of urgency. Like you can watch a lake in the distance, get closer and then suddenly go backwards. And now you are canonically past that point. So you've got to accomplish your goals quickly. You know, you've got to uh, do what you have to do because you can't just stand around. The train doesn't wait for anybody. Yeah. I definitely wanted a sense of anytime you venture out, it should feel like you're taking a, a substantial risk, right? That mm-hmm. it's almost like the first time the train breaks down, maybe you don't even participate in it. Maybe you just see other people go out and all just get wiped out from mm. something horrible. And so you're, you're immediately filled with a sense of dread of what happens outside the train. And then, of course, once those people are gone, you're put in charge of something one of those guys did. And now next time it happens you're one of the people that has to go out. I always hate those moments though in games. And I know it's just, I just, I've played so many games to where I'm just kind of sick of like those non-interactive set pieces. You know, like once you play Uncharted 2 and you have that giant hotel and of crashing down around you and you're scrambling through the hotel to try to find a way to jump to another roof, like an yeah. interactive set piece is so cool and it's hard to go back to those kind of gears of war moments where 
you feel like the camera control has been taken away from you and you see a couple guys suddenly kind of have better animation and they're voice acted and talking <laughs> to each other. And then all of a sudden something breaks out of the ground and pulls them under and they scream and there's a big shower of blood and it's like, okay, whatever. That's obviously a cutscene moment and it's not something that actually impacts me. You know, I, I, I like to find more creative ways around it rather than just watching an animation of something happen to somebody else. Well, what if we did a sort of horror game trope and mm-hmm. the first the first thing that you experience when you're out with these people, they don't, you know, the current workers, you're the new guy, they don't trust you enough to give you a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. So you are more powerless in the initial situation and maybe you could happen your way into a weapon towards the end of the initial encounter um, or it's only once you get back to the train uh, is somebody hand you something and you're able to, you know, the the first moment sh- yeah, has, should have that kind of, oh, barely escaped. And then the next time you're going out, the, okay, now I'm the one that has to deal with it when something goes wrong. What if there's a, one of the stops, something gets onto the train instead of you venturing off where the space that you've grown so accustomed to, uh, you know, maybe on the train, you have to spend a lot of time kind of uh, you know, yeah. Stardew Valley style, trying to grow some food and just survive on the trip because it's a long trip across the country. And so this is your safe space. This is the space that you know, and something gets onto the train, whether it's like a, whether like a monster or whether it's a, a ghost, like you would see in PT. And it's just kind of menacing these previously safe hallways that you used to roam about in, or like the alien in the alien isolation where now you are being hunted in your safe space and try to use the space that you know so well from the rest of the game to your advantage to try to, you know, find other ways to sneak around it. Yeah, I don't know what the statute of limitations on a multi-year old game is, but in the very first uh, reboot Wolfenstein, I think Wolfenstein, the new order, mm-hmm. uh, they pull that off really well where you, between missions, keep going back to your safe house Um, and the safe house at one point in the game is, uh, attacked. And when you go back to it, it's filled with enemies. And it's also this really empowering moment for the player, because maybe by the time you get to that stop or that breakdown, whatever you want to call it in the game, you know, you might know the layout of this train fairly well. It could be both exercise and scary horror. And at the same time, uh, maybe even a power fantasy because it's like, well, you guys aren't going to stop me. I know this better than anyone. Yeah, it's interesting. The world outside the train, maybe you need to kind of replenish on supplies in towns. That would give you a good excuse to stop the train and, and get out instead of just the train keeps breaking down every so often. Uh, maybe you can do some like tunes, tune up and repairs along the way. Maybe the train does kind of break down at unspecified points along the trail as well and you have to uh you know repair it in real time while creatures surround you and attack the train or whatever but anyways these these main stops these kind of scripted encounters maybe if they happen at towns or cities like you would run into in america today the where they would really be in that route in between the coasts so you know you're kind of exploring this ruined kind of fallout world to try to salvage supplies and yeah. you know get back to your train before before night falls or whatever 
I mean, that's really cool. And I think that those stops could be interesting ways to introduce new key characters and end up playing a role later. And maybe even people who this kind of always happens in most adventure, especially sci-fi TV shows have the trope of like the mysterious passenger who ends up Mm. being a serious problem for one reason or another. Mm, Yeah. You're a better writer than me, H. So I wanted to hear maybe what you would think, because I left it blank. What could be the mystery that this person on the ground discovers about the people in the sky? So the obvious answer is if they're the kind of higher up society and you are the one that's cast out, then you can discover that maybe they aren't as, you know, pure and innocent as they thought they were, uh, which is all, you know, fine and dandy. But I think the, the, and a metaphorical allusion to, being cast out of the city in the sky gives me a strong like paradise lost feel. That's what I was going for. Yeah. You know, like Lucifer being cast out of heaven and sent to the hell that is earth now. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I got to gotta brush up on my Milton, is it? <laughs> oh boy. And uh, really kind of figure out a clever way to kind of tie those narratives together. But yeah, having that kind of classical Judeo-Christian mythology in there would be would be cool. I totally agree with you. And I was thinking maybe that there is something to find. I think that like the game could do a great job of talking about even just some of the modern prejudices that exist in the world now and make some sort of commentary on that stuff, whether something that obviously is palatable, but uh I I definitely see this storytelling uh, vessel as a way to tackle something perhaps a little uncomfortable to talk about in the same way that the new Wolfenstein does. So I, I mean, obviously the uh, the the most obvious metaphor there is um, things that are saved in the clouds versus things on the hard drive because you are driving a very hard route through the nation. So you know the the inequality between file sharing structures is. Uh, <laughs> Um, it was just not safe on the hard drive. It's perfect. That sounds great. <laughs> we'll get some Teslas in bio defense mode as well. <laughs> That's all the time we have for that one. Do you have a name for this uh, this game? Well, uh, as always, you tapped right into what I was thinking, and I was going to call this Far From Heaven. <laughs> okay. We are moving now to our community. We have a very interesting community contribution. Not sure how this is going to translate to radio, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> this comes from Spencer Saunders at Telepri on Twitter, who tweeted us, which is one of the ways you can get in contact with us. That is at PlayWrightCast. That is spelled exactly like it appears on the screen you're listening to this from. Mm. That is P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. So not like the word playwright. It is a pun. Because <laughs> we play and we write here. That's what we do. Anyways, Spencer says... A third-person rhythm action game featuring this protagonist. And he featured a a drawing, which I obviously can't show you people, unfortunately. Um, But it's, uh, let me see if I can describe it. It is a very tall and lanky-looking, kind of a man-shaped character with with a rectangular head, almost like a pencil eraser. And Mm -hmm. has a couple of triangles, kind of where his face should be. Uh, no arms, but he is wearing a uh, kind of cool rapper chain, and he seems to be uh, jostling. He's got a few little um, little <laughs> well, wiggle lines. His yeah. name there is Wiggle yeah. and Joe. So, I was gonna say affectionately titled Wiggle and Joe. Yeah. So let's get into 
a third-person rhythm action game featuring this protagonist. What do we make of this? So I'm looking at Wiggling Joe and we'll do, as we kind of talk through it, I'll do my best to describe Wiggling Joe further if he needs any uh, additional (laughs) adjectives. But I look at Wiggling Joe and he's tall and he's thin and he's kind of, he's moving from head to toe and I, but he's also black and white. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if we could get, you know, Wiggling Joe to to maybe be a physics kind of character who is that's the thing that the kind of wiggling that he's doing there makes me think a lot of like it's just kind of on the brink of becoming a popular design aesthetic but it's not quite there yet of uh jelly-ish materials yeah you know what i'm talking about there's a there's a game called the flora's jelly where you bounce on these very kind of satisfyingly jello-like stages and just kind of bounce all over the place. And there's a few more um, dead or alive game. That's probably not a good example. Um, but there's a lot of games where everything's just very like loosey goosey, jiggly and, uh, and, and fun like that. And so that is interesting because a rhythm game has to be very precise on the beats. Yeah. But Wiggle and Joe seems like a very loosey goosey, you know, he's not going <laughs> to, he's not going to sway anyone's beat, but his own. So maybe it's a thing about, um, you know, if you wiggle something back and forth, like a slinky or something like that, like it does, it forms its Develops own rhythm. A rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It almost looks like a sound wave or something. He kind of uh, almost appears from first glance, if he didn't have such a defined chain and shirt, he looks like one of those wacky inflatable arm <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. tube yeah. guys. Yeah. So those guys do have kind of where when the air fills them, this kind of puff, puff <laughs> rhythm about them. Have you uh, heard of this? This has been going around the IGN office lately. Uh, drop mix. Yeah, yeah. So I guess Harmonix made a kind of board game that you link to an iPad and you put cards on these pads and it, it combines different songs. It's really wild. One of the things I could see Wiggle and Joe do potentially is dance on maybe different floors or surfaces or bounce into and touch different things that kind of create different mixes of music and tones. What if he is, um, this is like an auto runner, like a Super Mario run or a Rayman, what is that one? Rayman Jungle Beat, something like that? I think so, yeah. Yeah, or Fiesta Run. And so it's got a side-scrolling auto runner where you, kind of like the game Quop, you are using okay. the left and right keys or maybe tapping on the sides of your cell phones to move his feet. And so you can give a long press for a for a really heavy like foot stomp, or you can give a short press for a little like little tiny foot uh, movement. And what you're trying to do is basically every step you take, his head kind of wobbles back and forth or his whole body, and you're trying to find the rhythm that goes with the the music that's playing at that time and everything else in the environment is kind of dancing along with the rhythm kind of like in a new super mario bros so you can visually see the rhythm as well and you're just trying to like a metronome match that rhythm him swaying back and forth by adjusting the size of the steps that you're taking and the timing of the steps but it's not just all a straight line like sometimes you're going downhill sometimes you have to 
jump to platforms. Sometimes you, you know, you're walking through the city and there's a jackhammer next to you. So that's kind of throwing off your rhythm as, as that's kind of jiggling you all around. Uh, but it's all <laughs> about, you know, the world kind of comes into focus. Like it, you're restoring color to the world or something as you're, as you're wiggling. I even like if you shifted where the, <laughs> the wiggle is happening and instead of controlling uh, feet, you're, you're actually just He's like a piece of gum, like a gummy thing. Uh-huh. And every time you kind of push on the left or right side of your screen, his hip region sways left to right. Mm-hmm. And there are like obstacles and stuff that he is dodging with his hips to the beat. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but almost like uh, Flappy Bird or something, if you let off, um, you know, one side or another, there's a little bit of mm. backswing to to his hips right because he's naturally kind of a wiggly jiggly dude and you have to make sure that you know if you hold it too long in one direction and stretch him out too far that if he snaps back in the other direction he might hit another object i always like uh and this could be a game that kind of shifts perspective sometimes sometimes it's side scrolling sometimes it's behind you like temple run but i always like the uh the game uh jetpack joyride uh because i think that the tunny brick Developers, I think they're the ones that made that, uh, do a really excellent job of um, all of the the vehicle pickups that you have are really clever, like alternate control schemes that take like a moment to figure out. But then once you get it, it's like, wow, this feels just as intuitive as everything else in this game. Like I really like just swapping between these multiple control styles. One of them is a jet ski that you're cruising along the surface of the water, but you're trying to dodge all of these missiles and you know, laser grids and stuff like that and so you can choose to submerge yourself underwater but as soon as you let go of the screen he kind of rockets back up and shoots himself into the air and so you've got that kind of push and pull there um so it's just something kind of similar to that like you can try to hold to one side to dodge something that's coming at your midsection but if you hold it for too long you're going to snap back in the opposite direction yeah that's really cool i i love the idea too of having him, you know, trying to move to the rhythm of something or maybe depending on the the beats of the song, having a, a natural wiggle himself and and seeing how that in real time affects the controls that you you need to use. Yeah, I like his um his bounciness being kind of an unpredictable part of uh almost like a little sloppiness to the controls. It just gives it like a real unique personality and of like a octo dad. I, I just love how difficult that is to precisely control, but that is baked into the game. So that's like part of the point. We have to figure out some mechanic for Wiggling Joe's chain. I, <laughs> I almost want it to be, and it, I, don't, I don't know how to describe what's at the end of the chain other than it looks like two triangles that are on his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe... Wiggling Joe is wearing a chain with a, a embossed version of his head on it, which I'm very into. I almost want it to be like a journey scarf, you know, where like the better you're doing in the game, the longer the chain is getting. <laughs> and that's just, you know, flopping around with you. That's kind of like an indication of how awesome you are. Maybe you could like drown yourself in the, the, the Wiggling Joe chain. As you do better, then you start going faster and it kind of like flies behind you like the uh, scarf in Hyrule Warriors. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Wiggling Joe finds his way into Smash Bros. eventually. <laughs> He's not going to have any moves, though. He'd only have a stomp, really. Yeah, we wiggle with the best of them, though. One of the things we haven't talked about 
and maybe it doesn't, it's not worth talking about, but I think it might be. Wiggle and Joe has no arms. That's true. <laughs> so, well, yeah, but the, uh, the movement schemes that we've created are all very leg based anyways. And so, you know, he's got exactly what he needs to keep the beat. He's not worried about it. I think it'd be fun to put him on a, a steel girder at some point in his journey and the steel girder is kind of being suspended in the middle, but it's kind of rocking back and forth. And so, you know, you're trying to balance on this thing and keep the beat as well. Ah, that'd be, that'd be difficult, but that'd be fun. Yeah. If, I love the, in Mario Odyssey, the uh, iron planks in New Donk City that kind mm-hmm. of sway left to right. So if, if you had to, as Wiggle and Joe had to kind of sway to match where the, 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 plank or the platform is taking you in that moment and maybe like hold it on particular beats or for measures and stuff that's kind of mm. cool too yeah well we are out of time for that one uh, spencer doesn't come with a, a name for that one but I, I like the name wiggle and joe so much that has to be in the title maybe like wiggle and joe joe wiggles again <laughs> uh, let's do it okay well that is Spencer Saunders, Wiggle and Joe. Joe wiggles again. And maybe he'll wiggle again someday. We'll see. Maybe we can think of something else to do with them sometime if we're ever uh, low on community pitches. <laughs> I was going to say, Wiggle and Joe is going to be in all my pitches from now on. <laughs> oh, I didn't mention that my first person shooter stars Wiggle and Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Wiggle and Joe is cast off into my train ride from hell. Yep. Joe in 60 seconds. All right. Well, that is our show for today. That's our show for two days ago. Yes, that's right. Good catch. We will catch you on the other side. Um, have fun with the next two days. It's going to be an unprecedented time in human history as long as things go the same way that they did this first time around, which I can't see any of that going wrong. Well, our music, as always, is brought to us by our good, good friend, Proto Dome, who was nice enough to lend his track, Hello World, from his album Blue Noise as our theme song. It's really good, and you can get it off of his band camp. I, d- I downloaded the whole album recently, mm-hmm. H, and it's it's very good, start to finish. You can get in contact with us. You can throw us your own pitch, just like Spencer did today, at playwrightcast.com, or you can email us, playwrightcast at gmail.com. We are currently running very low on pitches, and so... If you have any ideas kind of niggling around in the back of your mind or uh, just anything that you've had in a a dream someday or just, you know, some little idea you had as a kid that you'd not been able to shake and you just like somebody to chat about it and try to deconstruct it and see where they can take it, then please do send it in. Like we're just having fun here and we'd love to to work with your idea. So there is no idea too elaborate. There's no idea too minimal as we saw today. We just got a picture essentially. And so, yeah, we will, we will make a, uh, a fun conversation from anything you send us. So please do. We're getting a little low and uh, we would love to see some more for the holiday season. Yeah. Thank you to Spencer who wrote in via Twitter, which yeah. actually is our first Twitter submission, right? I forgot yeah, you right. could do that. And, and we were taking them before, when Twitter was 120 characters. So this 280 or whatever they're doing now, you're, you you got all the characters in the world to pitch a video game. Yeah, definitely. you don't need any more than that. No, we our pitches rarely exceed that. I mean, what's the best game? Like Tetris? Like, oh, get some blocks, rotate them, stick them together, they disappear. Okay, done. Get some dang squares and start <laughs> flipping them around. Just flipping squares. <laughs> so easy. <laughs> okay, well... I'm going to take us out with a final idea today. My last idea is going to be a fighting game that is a sword-based combat game, but you can choose 
the size of your sword. The bigger the sword, the harder you hit. But if it's too big, then it's going to be pretty heavy and you're not going to be able to swing it pretty fast. And if your opponent chooses a lighter sword, you know, they might get the, like, the first stab there. Just rotate your dang sword. Just rotate your dang sword. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. <laughs> 